14. And the context for the verse is that uh, Jesus had just heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And we, we talk about Jesus being our example and we think of him as being perfect. But to me, this verse suggests that he was upset. He was human. He suffered pain and disappointment like we do. And the verse indicates he wanted time out. But as you read on through Matthew 14, you find out he never got that. And I thought about it, and the idea intrigued me. Uh, and it's led me to what I believe God wants to say to us today, which is about ministering out of weakness. So I want to look at Matthew 14, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. But if you want to follow it in, in your Bibles, that's fine. Um, but I'm also including some snippets from Mark and Luke, because Matthew's got a bit of an abridged version of the story. So Matthew 14, verse 1. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisers, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned and later killed John. Herod had liked to listen to John, though when he heard him, he was thoroughly baffled because John declared, produce fruits consistent with repentance. Even now the axe is laid at the roots of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And John rebuked Herod because he had married his brother Philip's wife. He kept telling him, it's against God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. So Herod had John locked up in prison. Herod's wife, Herodias, also held a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she couldn't because Herod kept him in the prison quite safe. But an opportunity came when Herod gave a banquet on his birthday for his court officials, military commanders and leaders of Galilee. And at this banquet, the daughter of Herodias danced before them. She greatly pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. So she said to her mother, what should I ask for? And at her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he'd said, but because of the vow he'd made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders, and John was beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl, who then took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard this, they came and took away his body and placed it in a tomb and went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass, and Jesus took the five loaves and two fish 
looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. So I got to thinking, you know, why did Jesus go off to be on his own? As soon as he'd heard the news from John's disciples, he left in a boat. What was going on? I'm not sure that we can really know, but I've got some suggestions for you. And in order to think about this, we need to explore the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. So the first and most obvious thing about that relationship is that they were family. John's mother was Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother was Mary, and Mary and Elizabeth were close relatives. People think they were probably cousins. So close that when Mary discovered she was pregnant, she hurried to the town, um, the hill country of Judea, where Elizabeth and Zacharias lived. They did live quite a long way apart. Um, You can see uh, Nazareth is up to the north, and Judea where Elizabeth lived, is down to the south. So it's probable the families didn't see an awful lot of each other while John and Jesus were growing up. But they were obviously close. And it may have been grief at the loss of one of his relations that caused Jesus to want to withdraw. Then there was the the thought that John the Baptist was unique among men. The angel who'd announced John's birth to Zechariah Uh, he made it clear that his child was to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite is one who's set apart for God. And often, Nazarites didn't drink alcohol and they didn't cut their hair. So John uh, wore odd clothes, ate strange food, uh, honey and locusts, we're told. And he preached an unusual message to the Judeans who went out to the wastelands to see him. And Jesus honoured John. Jesus said in Matthew 11, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived... None is greater than John the Baptist. He went on to say, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. That's good news for us. Somehow, the ministries of Jesus and John the Baptist were linked. John was the one that both Isaiah and Malachi prophesied would herald Jesus. Isaiah said, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight pathway through the wasteland for our God. And Malachi said, look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. So the ministries were interlinked and also John denounced the Pharisees just as Jesus did. The Pharisees thought they were so great and so wonderful, but neither John nor Jesus said anything good about them. So John prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus knew that. He understood that. This wild-looking man who had no power, no position, no authority within the Jewish political system, he spoke with almost irresistible authority. People were moved by his words because he spoke the truth. He challenged them to turn from their sins and he baptized them as a symbol of their repentance. And they responded in their hundreds. But even as people flocked to him, he pointed beyond himself, never forgetting his main role was to announce the coming of the Savior. 
And then John recognized Jesus as Messiah. Apart from Simeon and Anna, who were around when Jesus was a tiny baby and who recognized him, John was the first to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. At his baptism, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who's far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah. In other words, whilst John was growing up, he didn't realize who Jesus was. He said, he carried on, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And he said, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven. And that's what God told me. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So I testify that he is the chosen one. Must have been really good for Jesus to understand and to know that someone recognized who he was because most of the people around him didn't. So why did he go off to be on his own? Just thinking about the the things that we've talked about, about the relationship, it might have been grief for his relative. However close they may or may not have been, Jesus must have been sad that his cousin had died. It might have been anger that a good man had died needlessly. John's disciples had told Jesus the whole sorry story of John's beheading. It was so unnecessary and so unjust. He was only imprisoned for telling the truth in the first place because he spoke out against someone in authority. We don't usually think about Jesus being angry, and yet he was sometimes. If we listen to John's account of Jesus in the temple, John says, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Now to me, that sounds very like someone who's angry. If I did that, I would be angry. (laughs) Maybe it was righteous anger, but I think it was anger nonetheless. So Jesus might have been angry at Herod for what had happened to John. And we we need to deal with our anger, don't we? When we get angry, we, we struggle to not take that out on the people around us. So maybe that's why he wanted to go and be on his own. Maybe it was grief for the loss of a supporter. John had been a very prominent supporter of Jesus and was the first to recognize Jesus as Messiah. Perhaps it's how Jeremy Corbyn might have felt if John MacDonald had left him or had died. There was now one less person on Jesus' side. Another intriguing thought. Maybe Jesus was wondering if his own ministry would be successful or whether Herod might cause a disaster for Jesus or bring his ministry to a premature end. I'm sure some of you are thinking that Jesus would never have wanted anything like that, and you may be right. But if you think he knew everything, and that's why he didn't have doubts, you'd be wrong. Whilst he was on earth, living as a human being, Jesus was not omniscient. He didn't know everything. He'd put that aside 
when he came to be born as a tiny baby. And in the Gospels, we read, sometimes he knew what was going on. Sometimes he could see in people's hearts. Sometimes he spoke out words of knowledge. But that was what the Holy Spirit had revealed to him. He was not omniscient. In the the story, um, when Jesus was uh, on the road uh, to Jairus' house, he suddenly stopped and said, who touched me? And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. And Jesus said, but someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And then the woman who touched him realized she couldn't stay hidden, and she fell to her knees before him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Jesus didn't know who had touched him. He knew healing power had gone from him, but he didn't know who had been healed. He wasn't omniscient. So there's room for doubt in Jesus' mind, not actually knowing what's immediately ahead of him. And Hebrews tells us, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He faced the same testings that we do. How many of you have doubts about what God's called you to do? I'm sure that we all do. So maybe if Herod's got at John, maybe you'll get at me. Maybe that was part of it. It might have been a combination of all of those. But one thing I'm sure of was he needed reassurance from his heavenly father. Whatever was behind his going to a place to be on his own. He was upset by the news of John's death and went to be on his own. And the Bible often tells us that when he's on his own, it's to pray. To meet with his father. In Mark, uh, it's just a little a couple of verses that talk about this. Jesus insisted his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. So he sent his disciples away. He sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Luke gives just a half a verse. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. And also, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus' first response when he was sad, troubled, maybe angry, maybe doubting, was to pray, to seek his Father. So Jesus is a great example to us in this. And I just want to ask you to think, what happens to you when something goes wrong, when you're ill? Who do you first turn to? Is it maybe your husband or wife? Someone who looks after you? A friend? Or is it to your Father in heaven? Who is it you turn to first? You may tell all those people as well. You may ask them for help as well. But who is first in your list of, I need to talk to someone? I read just now a verse from Hebrews that said, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Can anyone remember what the next verse is? It's a very well-known verse, but we don't normally put those things together. 
The next verse says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Prayer should be our first response when things go wrong. It was Jesus' first response and it should be ours as well. So Jesus went off on his own in order to sort himself out, to have some quiet time, a bit of a calm down, and to speak to his father, to come to terms with his loss. But the crowds were having none of it. And Matthew tells us, as soon as Jesus heard the news and went off to be alone, the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And as Jesus got off the boat, they were there. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He had no time to be on his own, apart from when he was on the boat. And if he was on the boat on his own, I don't suppose that was terribly calming for him. Uh, If any of you ever sailed a boat, you'll know that. It's hard work. Um, Whatever he was feeling, whether he was feeling sad or angry or discouraged, he still healed the sick and fed them. And Mark also tells us that he taught them. Jesus gave himself to the people who needed him, even when he felt rubbish. He put his own needs aside and ministered to the crowds. He didn't act selfishly. He didn't say, come back tomorrow when I'm feeling more like helping you. Even when it was inconvenient, Jesus ministered to those who needed him. just going to put up a slide with a number of reasons why we might think we're weak and can't minister in God's power. We might be ill. We might think, when I'm better, I'll be able to serve God. I'm really not up to it at the moment. We might feel so sad because we've lost someone dear to us. And we think, I've got nothing to give to anyone. We might be in debt and think, my life is such a mess. There is no way I can help anyone else. There's no way God can use me. We might be depressed. When I was researching for this, um, I came across some research on depression, which uh, it's... There's an area of research which says that actually helping other people is better than um, medication for making people who are depressed feel better. And the, the other people have to be people that we don't know. So if I'm depressed and I help my family, that doesn't work. But if I go and help someone who is not part of my family, I will feel better as a result of that. Um, and they're, they're researching that at the moment. No one's come to a... Um, anything where the doctors can prescribe something. But um, although some time ago on the television, I remember watching uh, a woman who was depressed and she was helping a blind lady that I think her doctor or her social worker had put her with, someone she didn't know. She was taking her around a garden centre. She was telling her what the plants were, focusing obviously on the ones that smelt, lifting them up and saying this is whatever it was and allowing her to smell it. And she said on that television documentary, I feel so much better because I can help 
someone else. Depression. We might think, I can't. But God says, I can. You can. We might have problems at work. We might have failed in what we're trying to do. We, must, we might just feel so much of a failure or so um, troubled by what's going on that we think, God can't use me. I can't help anyone. We might be anger, angry at injustice and don't know how to put that into practice, how to do anything with it. But there are lots of things we can do about injustice. We're unlikely to be thrown in prison, although it has happened in other countries. Maybe it's our dreams that are broken. We thought that God would use us to do this, and that's not happened. And we're feeling so sad about it. We think, God can't use me to do anything. Maybe it's difficulties in our relationships or our marriage. We think, when I've sorted this out, when I've dealt with this, then I can serve God. It might be doubt. There are others, other things that might make you feel weak. These are just a few of the things that you might think will disqualify you from ministering to, to, ministering to others. Other areas where you might think, I can't do that. I'm not clever enough, good enough, young enough, old enough. You can put whatever you think in there. But the challenge to us is to follow the example of Jesus, a minister, even when we don't feel up to it. And one of the things I really want you to grasp today is that God will never ask you to do anything that is beyond not just you, but beyond you and God together. You may think, I can't do that. But you and God together can. Because God provides the strength that we need. God said to Paul, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul said, So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in in the insults, hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. And he concluded that little part by saying, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When we know our limitations, when we understand our limitations, that's the time when we ask God to help us. When we're unaware of what we don't know or how puffed up we are, then we don't ask God for help. When I am weak, then I am strong. And then that very famous passage in Philippians, Paul wrote, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul knew that God would help him to do whatever he was called to do. It doesn't matter if we feel weak, if we think we can't. Us and God can do it.
But sometimes we don't even try because it's not convenient. Jesus didn't feel like it, but he healed the sick and fed them anyway. And God calls us to serve him not just when we feel like it, not just when life is good, but when it's difficult, when it's not convenient. Paul said, um, I've learned how to live on almost nothing. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. I've suffered hardships, persecutions, and troubles. Many of the issues we thought about just now, illness, debt, depression, problems at work, broken dreams, when we focus on them, what we're really doing is demonstrating two things. One is a lack of faith in God to help us through, to give us the strength we need. And the other is a selfishness that Jesus never showed. We are focusing on ourselves. When I'm thinking about my needs and what I need, it's being selfish. Obviously, we have to take care of ourselves, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But when we're saying, I can't because of my need, we're being selfish and demonstrating a lack of faith in God. God calls us to serve him always. To be salt and light, always, not just when we feel like it. I was talking to Andrew the other week about how we gradually build courage into our lives. We take small steps of faith, ministering to others when we think we can't. And we find out that God's there for us. It's like training. I've got an amazing story. It's not a Christian story. It's not about God, but it's about the, how training benefits people when things get tough. And um, when I was uh, working with the military police, a young man, uh, I don't know how old he was, he looked 20, 21, very young. He said he'd got a medal from the American army. And I said, asked him to tell me the story of that medal. He said, you don't want to hear that, Padre. Uh, It's all about bullets and blood and stuff. I said, no, I do want to hear it, Bradley. So he told me the story. And he'd been out in Afghanistan, and there'd been uh, a meeting. It was supposed to be a peaceful meeting. And there were some American generals there, presumably some uh, UK people and uh, some Afghani people, meeting to talk about peaceful things. And someone had got into a building and had stuck uh, a machine gun through a a window which wasn't supposed to be there and wasn't supposed to be open and just starting shooting indiscriminately. One of the American generals was killed and another one was wounded. His femoral artery had been shot through. And this guy and another one, not much older than him, just their training kicked in and they rescued this general. One of them held and put pressure on his artery so he didn't bleed to death. And they got him into a car and got him to a medical center where his life was saved. Training really matters when we get to something which is beyond what we can think of. And how we deal with the little things that God puts across our paths will build us up, give us faith, give us courage, help us when something big comes along. We will find that we see God at work in the little things and we will know that he will never let us down.
So Jesus' first reaction when he was upset was to go somewhere to pray. So if we are struggling with life, I just want to recommend that first you go to God. And then if you need help from someone, find someone else that you trust. But go to God first. I want you to remember that Jesus put his own feelings aside in order to minister to others. So we don't have to have it all together in order to serve God. We can serve him out of our weakness. We don't have to have got it all together. We don't have to have made it. And the serving doesn't have to be anything dramatic. It might just be going around to visit someone who's unwell or making a cup of coffee for someone. It might be sharing your faith with someone. It might be smiling at someone in the supermarket. Roger made a cake yesterday. It's a a life group uh, joke, cherry cake. Um, Everyone said, we can't make a cherry cake where the cherries don't sink to the bottom. So Roger said, I'll do it. He likes a challenge. And uh, Jennifer's... um, had an operation, Jennifer Hall, and is at home. And so yesterday, Roger made a cherry cake, and we took round a little one to her. And that made her smile and made her laugh and made her feel good. A cake, just a cake. But we were serving her. Roger mainly was serving her. Um, It doesn't have to be anything dramatic. You don't have to heal people, cast demons out, preach, whatever you do with God helping you, flowing out of prayer. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It will help other people. So at the end of this, uh, this talk, I want to ask you, will you serve God whether you feel like it or not? Will you say, I am going to do what God's put in my heart to do? I will trust him that he won't give me anything to do that I can't handle with him. Or would you say, I don't feel like it. I'm too upset. I'm too angry. I don't believe God will help me. Will you serve God today? In order for, uh, to give you all a chance to respond, um, I'm not going to ask you to stand for prayer in one way, uh, but in another way I am. Uh, there's a song based on the prayer of St. Francis, and it starts, Make me a channel of your peace. And I'm going to suggest that we all stand and we sing this as a response. Um, The chorus says, Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console. So much to be understood as to understand. So much to be loved as to love with all my soul. It's putting away the selfishness that so easily gets hold of us. And saying we will serve God. So let's stand. Uh, Maybe you could turn me down a bit, please. Um, I don't want to drown everyone.
help us to mean what we just sang. Help us to serve you when it's convenient and when it's not, when we feel like it and when we don't. And may we always start with you. And may we always find you at our side, helping us. Your grace is sufficient. Thank you, Lord. Amen.